0: Hi, welcome to the Conversations About Consultation podcast. I'm Jessica Rowley and you're here listening to some of the conversations that myself and my co-host Dr. Emma Kennedy and Emily Crosby have had with guests from across the world about consultation in psychology. Myself and Emily are trainee educational psychologists at the Tavistock & Portman NHS Trust and Dr Emma Kennedy is Deputy Course Director and teaches the consultation module on the Doctorate in Educational Psychology course. The three of us have a keen interest in consultation and hope that this podcast offers a platform to discuss different views about the topic and future directions in consultation. We hope that you enjoy listening to the episodes, and if you want any more information or are interested in being a guest with us, please feel free to get in touch. Hi, welcome to this episode where we speak with Patrick Langford, a now newly qualified EP from the Institute of Education, who completed his thesis exploring what makes consultation effective in EP practice. We talk about all things consultation, particularly thinking about the application of consultation theory to practice, and a consideration of what consultation really is, and how this might differ depending on your training institution or experience. Patrick discusses some of his findings from his thesis, and what this might mean for the profession. We found this a really stimulating discussion, and we really hope you enjoy listening to Patrick speak with us.
1: Thank you so much um, Paddy, we're really um, grateful to have you um, on talking with us. So I was just wondering if you could start um, talking a bit about your background and how you kind of got to being a trainee educational psychologist and your journey uh, to this point now.
2: Definitely, so before I knew I wanted to be an educational psychologist when I was like sort of 14, 15 or so, I was 100% going to go join the army and then I went to sandhurst for an overnight visit sort of thing and it was absolutely dreadful i hated it so much and i was like well that's off the table what what am i going to do now and then so my mum worked, well kind of works in a school at the moment with regards to like exam sort of stuff but she's very much knowledgeable about that and she suggested educational psychology so i started looking into it and i was like this is actually pretty interesting this is quite cool and this was when i was about 16 or so and so magically what i decided to do at 16 was both viable and what i wanted to do so quite lucky in that regard and then sort of went to university at cardiff did psychology did a pgc PCT, so the teaching qualification for college age students worked in a um Uh, specialist provision a school specialist school for about six or seven months then did the master well i applied to get on the doctorate failed the first year went and did the master's at the institute of education in uh, psychology of education thinking that would help me get on and then was successful the second time round thankfully and yeah then came on to the doctorate and really enjoying it and one thing that kind of one of the things that i was quite intrigued by was consultation i can't remember exactly how I got into it per se but obviously there's lots of lectures around it there's lots of talk about it because it's such a fundamental way of working and I was interested in exploring it a bit more and one of the definite key motivating factors for me choosing consultation was that I wanted my first year project to build into my thesis because I'm really bad at literature reviews if I had my way I would just say rather than going through all the things I would want to do just say I did this because I wanted to do it leave me alone and so Rather than having to do that twice, I looked at consultation and thought, well, I can build on this for my thesis and I find it really interesting. And I had a lot of conversations um, with Tom Connor, who's one of my research supervisors now about what is consultation? How do we define it and how do we think of it? Because it is so prevalent. It is, I think probably one of the most widely used ways of working as an educational psychologist in the UK, certainly but there's that ever prevalent debate around, how do we define it? What does it mean? And then the knock on impact is if we don't know what it is and we can't define it, how do we assess what it is? How do we assess its efficacy? And then in the traded context that we all, well, a lot of us work in, that then becomes quite a large problem, potentially. And then we can talk about that more in a bit as we go through, but trying to then kind of nailing down what it is and exploring that a bit more, I became really interested in. I think it's really, really valuable to know. And then the more that I've researched it, the more that I've explored it, I've become more and more interested in it. And what's been really nice for me just reflecting on how this has gone is that I've spent the best part of two and a half, almost three years, really thinking about consultation and really researching it. And I think it's fantastic and it's really solidified for me that this is the way that I want to work as a professional, as an EP, and I want other people to know about it and I want to know how powerful it can be because that's one of the things that I think it's really valuable about it is that it's it has such wide-ranging effects and I want, obviously I don't have any concrete answers, I'm not some kind of doyen on it, but I want to try and do a little part to share knowledge about it and increase people's awareness and understanding and how useful it is and by people i don't just mean other eps also parents and teachers and sencos and head teachers and everything so that's a really important part for me as well this is going way beyond my thesis at the moment this is like what i'm going to be spending the rest of my career doing but i do want to be exploring that and thinking how can we persuade not persuade how can we encourage everyone within the education systems that we work to see how valuable consultation is and how Useful it can be. Oh.
0: And I think that really echoes actually with what Emma said in the introduction about Emily and I, our frustration around perhaps what we learn in theory and then how that works in practice and what's espoused from consultation and yeah, what actually it looks like when we're trying to implement it in practice. Um, I guess you spoke a little bit about the term consultation and it being used in different ways and there being a lot of debate around that um it's something that we've touched on with other guests as well but I guess I was wondering as you were speaking about that we kind of have a way of thinking about it at the Tavistock or a way of learning about it at the Tavistock that might be wildly different at the IOE so it would be really good to hear a little bit about you know how you conceptualize consultation and where that came from and what sort of teaching you had um yeah just anything really that you kind of think is Gone towards your understanding of what consultation is.
2: I definitely think one of the big factors has been the education that I've received at IOE, because that then, in the same way as I'm sure it's for yourselves, that colours how you understand consultation and the way that you work. So the way that the one of the main ways that we think about it is through Bronfenbrenner's like ecosystemic model and thinking about. And whilst I I think it is really useful to think about that, I don't think many people. Are like really strictly adhering to that model it's much more of a tool to help you think about well what's the wider circumstances how does that impact on things so i think it's a useful tool to help broaden your thinking and i think that's one of the ways that i want to try and use consultation is in that wider sense that trying to think about what's the family situation like what's the young person's past like because for me being trauma in for having a trauma informed practice is really important because the number of times that I've worked with a young person and it's come up that oh they've experienced some kind of trauma in the past and that then has such a huge impact on their present life that we have to have that understanding. Of course I wanted to t- and also another key part of that I do want to say is that with regards to the wider impact having trying to work at a systemic level, trying to change the way that perhaps schools might work or that trying to have that really large scale impact rather than just being on the individual level. And this kind of ties in with what you were saying earlier, Jess, about that difference between practice and and what actually happens, sorry, the theory and what actually happens, because I want to work in all these ways, but I... I'm exclusively using it, not out of choice, but exclusively using consultation at that individual level. So I can bring in the ideas of what's the school like, what's the behavioral policy, what's the political system that that we are currently working in, how does that impact? But it's still at that individual level. So what I want to hopefully do, and again, I'm not even qualified yet, so I've got a long time to practice this, but I do want to try and bring about or bring my consultation skills to a wider range of, spheres for want of a better word and try and have that wider impact as opposed to it just being having the consultation about this one individual child maybe just like a class level or something that can be the next step trying to broaden that and I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent there so sorry about that but to loop back to what you actually asked me one of the other things that I think comes up a lot in training for us certainly is being solution focused and trying to think about rather than spending all the time thinking about the problem and becoming problem saturated trying to look forward trying to think about how we're going to implement suggestions but also think about what's working what are the exceptions to that and i think that's also a useful way to think about it but again how much i actually do that is up for debate like am i actually solution focused or do i try and use this to to bring in those ideas rather than being strictly solution focused but you know, it's it's something that, well as eps we're always encouraged to be reflexive and overthink things and try and drill down to the absolute core of something so i spent a lot of time thinking about that but it's been it's been really valuable getting to know those different kinds of ways of thinking and trying to bring them in how successful we don't know
1: yeah, that's really, um really helpful and interesting because we're definitely thinking in a systemic way um, at the Tavistock. We also have some other elements that we like to bring in as well. And I think Bronfenbrenner's model is really helpful to think about the different contexts. But we also like to think about things at the kind of psycho and um, dynamic level and bring all of that in as well. Um, and I think all of these kind of different frameworks, like you said about the solution focus, helps kind of influence our practice over time and um, I guess I'm trying to think about kind of my initial um, encounter with consultation and what's kind of influenced that over time and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you do now and um, that you didn't do when you first encountered consultation or anything that you did do then and you don't do now and what's kind of anything else that's influenced your practice over time other than your sort of training that you've had at the IOE perhaps things that you've been exposed to in placement?
2: Watching other EPs has been so valuable to see how it is done and, and the different ways it can be done. It's been really, really useful. I have I'm I know of some of the different frameworks, like the Interactive Factors Framework and other things like that. I've never used one strictly, but I think being aware of them has been quite useful because it's made me think, okay, what are the other... It's, again, feeding into the idea of what are the other things that are going on, um, and... One of the very first consultations I had, it might have been the first one I did by myself, predictably was absolutely atrocious. Um, thankfully, though, the Senko was also in the room. And because I had done the observation, I think it was, it was for a, a nursery-aged child. So I had the observation, tried to do some one-to-one work. They weren't really into it but that was fine it's still useful information but I sort of ran out of things to say within 10 minutes I was just like oh god someone help me please thankfully the Senko was there who was able to then talk about lots of really interesting things I could bounce off them and that was a really valuable learning experience because it helped me be aware of what I need to be doing or just not so much structuring my thoughts but just having better understanding of all the things I need to talk about so it's probably relatively trivial, but one of the things, because I, I still do not use a framework, but what I do have is like the four areas of need as defined by um, the, the, the name, ex- this case, but you know what I mean? Those four areas of need and then thinking, okay, so what are the things within that that can help my understanding of this young person's like, is there a communication need? Is there something around their social, emotional, mental health or something like that? And then using that to try and guide my practice, but it's very much... I think the majority of my practices, and I suspect this might be the same for a lot of EPs, is quite sort of grab bag and sort of take different bits of things that you like and sort of craft your own model of consultation, which I found valuable, but that then ties into the problem that we were talking about earlier around, well, if everyone has their own model of consultation, how are we then evaluating that? And then a related problem is how can we as a profession encourage teachers, whoever to buy into it. If we say you're having a consultation and they have absolutely no idea what that means because you have two different EPs and they could be wildly different. And so whilst I think me developing it organically has been really beneficial for my individual practice within that sort of wider system of EP practice, I don't know how, it's not that it's bad, But I do have questions that I don't have answers to, unfortunately, about how do we then think about that as a profession and trying to, unfortunately, sell our time, sell our work, because that is the kind of things we have to do in a traded context. Yeah,
3: we love questions with no answers off. And that it, it just really kind of stuck with this idea of bouncing back and forth and yeah, linking into this idea of relationship and this importance of the relationship between um, between people, and I think that's probably when poor Jess and I kind of have to talk about this with me sitting here, like, oh, what did I tell you know? <clears throat> but I suppose part of what we would be trying to think about is consultation as a form of relationship, a very particular form of relationship, and that it's about trying to establish and build a professional helping relationship with particularly with other adults who are maybe concerned about a a child in a context, or it could be a group, or perhaps as a concern at the level of the system or the organization, and you also mentioned this point about developing your consultation skills. And for me, I was thinking about, you know, that bouncing off that skill and being able to kind of ooh, where will I go next? And what maybe framework might I draw on? Is this now a good time to perhaps ask a, an exception seeking question? Is this a good time to try and think a little bit about history? What's happened for this child before? It, I mean, part of what I suppose I'm, I'm thinking about when you're talking is how active a process it is. It's not like you're sitting there going, I've got a few questions, I'll, I'll just ask them in order and and maybe probably for the for the three of you really is do you do you sometimes feel more tired <clears throat> at the end of having had a day with very interesting and very engaging work but by having that level of relating to other people that you kind of find Man, that was that was a day I've really yeah how does it how does it feel I guess at the end of having had some time to do those relating and role I'm knackered
2: I'm absolutely knackered after a day of consultations it's exhausting because there are so many things going on in your brain at one point you've got however long you're there for you've got to establish a rapport you've got to ask questions you've got to be aware of what the other person is saying think about what you're saying think about what you how what you are saying is being interpreted how that could then impact that person checking in with everyone making sure everyone's okay if you've got more than one other person how is the, the parent saying something being interpreted by the teacher managing that relationship encouraging a parent who perhaps is a bit more shy or whatever it is there's so many things going on in consultation that you have to be at a hundred percent for all of it and you've got to be thinking of so many different things yeah so afterwards I always need at least like 10 minutes after a consultation to be almost decompress because you're thinking so hard for that amount of time trying to and also of course at the same time you're thinking of the child trying to bear them in mind thinking about what needs they have what questions do you need to ask making hypotheses about what could be the possible what could be an explanation thinking about solutions how might they interpret those what have they already done so it's just like so many things going on in your head at once it's yeah it's exhausting but i think it being active is one of the many great things about it. And I think that's such an important part is because I think one of, because of that lack of really strict definition of, of what a consultation is. And I think that's probably a good thing, but maybe we've gone a bit too far in there being no definition or that being so loose that it kind of encompasses everything. Because I think there do, there does need to be not slightly higher standards. That's not quite the right word. And I'm not, I don't want to come across as like i know all about consultation because i know very little but i'm sort of listening to what more experienced people are telling me and trying to pass that information on one of the things that struck me was that i think we need to be have higher again going back to this word have higher standards for what a consultation is because it's not it's not a 10-minute conversation it's not a 25-minute catch-up during break you can use consultation skills But it's not a consultation and this i don't have a complete definition but i do have some things that i think kind of need to be there for it to be a full consultation rather than just a conversation and a conversation can be really powerful it can be really useful because you can get some really valuable information but i think consultation it needs to be more than just that information gathering process so for me consultation isn't just the ep asking a series of questions about this young person to the parent or teacher or whoever it is, them giving answers back and saying, brilliant, thank you very much. You won't see me again, but I'll send some recommendations via email. And it has to be, collaborative is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I think it has to be, but what I mean by collaborative is having people being active members of that. So through facilitation by the EP so the EP is actively listening you're encouraging others to actively listen to build on what's being said you're encouraging them to put forward solutions suggestions hypotheses as to what might be going on now that's going to be harder or easier depending on who's there and a whole host of other factors but having that active engagement from the other person or persons is essential because otherwise it's just a monologue from the EP to the consultee and They can be really useful. You can get a lot of information, but I do feel that, as I said, consultation has to be a bit more, there's a bit more to it and because there is so much potential for it. And another key thing that I definitely found coming up from lots of EPs, what they said was that you have to have time and space. And by that, I mean, I think at an absolute minimum to do a proper consultation, it's going to be 30 minutes at the absolute minimum. Anything less than that, you don't have that time for that rapport building, for the development of the possibilities of exploring exceptions and then hypotheses and so, and solutions and all those sorts of things. And then space as well. If you've got other people in the room, you can't really have a consultation because it needs to be a confidential space. People need to be feel that they are comfortable enough to potentially reveal some very heavy information because I've been in multiple consultations usually one-to-one but sometimes with more where a parent has revealed that oh there's some history of trauma that the young person's had that wasn't known about before and that's incredibly heavy serious material and so they need to feel comfortable and in a space where they feel that they can do that but also everyone needs to be in the emotional and mental space to be able to engage with it because as i said it's more than just a conversation it has to be it has to be bi-directional in the sense that everyone has to be contributing and so for obviously i think it's probably gonna be more tiring for the ep because they've got more things to do in their mind but the consultees have to be an active part of that and one of the big things that came from the research was the idea of buy-in do the consultees and the ep themselves do they buy into the process of consultation do they think it's a good use of their time do they think that things will change or they're expecting things to change afterwards do they have a belief that this will be useful for those involved and tying in with that is their expectations like what do they understand of consultation because I'm pretty sure that just talking about myself most of my cons- my consultations are all right they're not terrible I'm not threatening anyone or anything like that but I am very very aware of how high the ceiling is for consultation and how much better they can be and something that was really interesting was one of the con- one of the people i interviewed said that they'd been qualified for about six years now and they would put themselves at the top end of beginner level of consultation skill because it's such an art It is such a there is a there because i think it is a science and an art in that there's a lot of those frameworks there's a lot of things going in but there's that that element of just the relationship and developing that and being able to use those skills almost going to a point of like unconscious what is it unconscious aware no not uh, that's a uh, oxymoron you can't have that unconscious competence that was it nailed it so unconscious competence and being able to do these things without really thinking about it and that takes a long time and so i think yeah i'm very aware of how much further and how much better my consultations can be but that's exciting as well because if we think about the alternatives of an EP doing a cognitive assessment telling the results to whoever via a report or in person and then writing some recommendations that probably won't be done and then leaving there's I feel like there's such a low ceiling to be able to to do anything really. And one of the really interesting things that a lot of interviewees said was that, well, a few of them said this explicitly, but consultation is a really good way or one of the best ways for them to be able to use psychology because if you're just doing the test and then feeding it back, and as you were saying earlier, a robot could do that. You could have, or someone who didn't have a doctorate or whatever could do that uh, that might not be allowed but effectively you don't need to have so much education in all this training to be able to do a test and then pass it on and don't get it wrong i'm not i think cognitive assessments can be useful within for certain examples for certain cases for if there's a clear purpose to them as part of a consultation but i think we as EPs do limit ourselves if we just stick to doing that. So I think consultation allows us to use that psychological knowledge because something that I didn't expect from the interviews was that the most common feature was talking about, that the feature that came up most frequently across all the interviews was psychological knowledge, which if you think about it makes sense, but then a lot of EPs spend a lot of time saying, I'm not the expert, you know as much as I do. And so I agree with the sentiment, but I feel like we've gone too far down that avenue. It's like, cause if we don't, if we're not experts, if we don't have knowledge, why are we there? And as one of my inter- interviewees said, are we there as just like a concerned member of public? Like, what are we doing? So having that psychological knowledge is really important because that's kind of part of the reason why we're there, but it's also facilitating others to not just contribute, But two of the really big things about consultation I probably should have mentioned before is that it's about empowering consultees to not fix their own problems, but to feel that they can have a pathway forward and they can do things and changing perspectives, which ties in with empowering. Because if you're changing those perspectives, you can do that in a consultation. And that can have huge knock on ramifications, because if a teacher's seeing this young child as, disruptive as rude and all these different things and then you start talking about well what might be the reasons behind this are there other things going on and then you can have that perspective change to this young person i'm gonna go back to the example of trauma has experienced some developmental trauma and then that changes the perspective completely and so they have so much more empathy now for this child and they're so much more willing to accommodate them and so those small things through the questioning through that sort of thing can be really really powerful and I think that's a really valuable way of using our training and having real world impact because those things can have a really big impact and one thing about, because empowering consultees is really, really important and I think it is a key thing and there's a common phrase, I don't know if this was if this, if you come across this at the Tavi but one of the things that was sort of one of the ideas that comes from solution-focused brief, brief therapy is the idea of leave no footprints and again, whilst I agree with that in principle there's the potential for that to be misinterpreted because leave no footprints in the sense that you're not making the consultees rely on you to keep on fixing their problems. You want to empower them so that they can feel confident to deal with another young person who might have similar difficulties. Like, Oh, I, so I spoke with the EP last month, similar sort of young person or indeed last year or whatever. I'm going to try these things and that might be really valuable, but we don't want to do nothing. We don't want to leave no footprints as in. We've had no impact at all because We are kind of there to to make a difference and to try and be that kind of change maker through empowering others. So I think it's again sort of striking that balance. I might be over interpreting metaphors and how we use language but I do want to kind of have that discussion around yeah we do have knowledge we should use it.
3: Yeah but language is important though because it shapes how people think so no, I, I can see how how that would be. I mean, I think one of the things that we we try to think about is that bit about expertise, um, and kind of trying to focus more about the sense of developing developing an expertise in the process of consultation and in the process of being helpful. It's not in any way to say, you know, we're the experts on everything and we can solve everything. But we'd like to emphasise our skill sets as very as much fun- so. Um, yeah, as, as uh, in a helpful way, and, and becoming a skilled helper, I suppose, in some respects. Um, to borrow a, a counselling metaphor, um, yeah, I'm
1: just wondering about kind of um, thoughts so far on what on what Paddy's shared. Yeah, I think um, Paddy, when you were talking, it got me thinking about relationships, and at the Tavistock, we have trained in relational model of consultation, and thinking about those relational skills and every relationship's different you know no relationship is the same and what each individual brings to that relationship is different and um, and it I guess it made me think about consultation what well, that must mean every consultation and um, you know is different and like you were saying was it did you call it grab a bag grab a, a grab bag Grab bag, that was it. To,
2: yeah consultation. <laughs>
1: yeah I quite like that idea and thinking about you know the different bits that you take but also I mean I think especially when I was in year as a year one training actually going out and doing my first consultations it was really helpful to have that model um but obviously making it more flexible and and malleable around the different um individuals that you might be consulting with Mm. um, and what you know you will use to empower that relationship and, and build that relationship and it made me really think as well when you were talking about um you know trauma and things like that that takes a lot for someone to talk about and or bring up and you know consultation you do tend to pick up on things that you didn't necessarily know um but also within that relationship what emma was just saying about power as well and actually there is an element that we do have to kind of take that we talk about one up and one down and that power relationship and being that expert um because you know the consultee wouldn't have come to the consultation if there wasn't necessarily an issue or a need there to be you know and kind of looked through and supported and developed so I definitely think there's elements there that every consultation is different and the way everyone uses consultation is different and um, however I can imagine it is quite you know confusing for the service user and I guess I'm mindful thinking about how we support service users and um, with consultation Um I, I, yeah, it's, I hate that idea of selling our service but I know yeah it um,
2: makes it feel almost cheap and it it makes it feel yeah. like it's cheaper isn't it but yeah
1: I mean, I'm in a non-traded service at the moment. And um, so I've gone from a traded service, one of the first traded services to a non-traded service. So I, who's actually now going to a traded model probably from September. So I'm going through that change process and thinking about how we're going to you know, use consultation, so I guess that's on my mind, and maybe a bit of a kind of my anxiety at the moment, thinking about because I'm really enjoying and um, you know, building the relationships through the consultations at the moment, and and they bring different things. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm going on a bit of a tangent now as well. But that's the sort of thoughts reflecting back to you, kind of what came up from when you were talking, and that really those relationships are different. I guess I'm I don't know how you feel about that, Jess, and whether that's made you think a bit about kind of our relational training that we've had in consultation?
0: Yeah, I think for me, I found it quite difficult um, kind of coming from year one, where you may be on placement for us at least one day a week. (laughs) Um, And we're having lots of teaching from Emma in consultation around the relational model, which Emma worked on um, as well. So I feel like our training around that model is very concrete and very... um, Yeah, like expansive, actually, like we, I think, especially in conversation with other trainees from different places like the IOE or UCL, um, there perhaps isn't the same level of focus on models of consultation or learning the whole process or having as much time. And I think, like Em said, I would have found it incredibly hard to have a grab bag approach at the beginning. I think it would have been very scary. (laughs) Um, And although you you do kind of have that approach anyway within a model, I think having that model there for me just meant that I felt a bit more competent perhaps and yeah, guided my practice in a way where I thought, well you know, maybe this is okay if I'm following this model. But then there's also the aspect, and and I think about this a lot of, actually, though, do we know that model is is useful? It's a relatively new model. And there's not that big an evidence base for many models at all and none for this model yet. Um, obviously, the, the parts within the models, um, like you say, those bits that we take from solution-focused brief therapy or we take from different places, they tend to have some evidence base, perhaps in a different field or in a different way to consultation um and i think it always comes back for me like how are we evaluating our practice how do we know that this way of working is better or how do we know that um how good does our good you know good enough does our consultation have to be or our our process of consultation have to be to achieve outcomes Um, And what outcomes are we looking for? How do we measure outcomes that perhaps for us as well with the relational model, things around the relationship? Are we measuring, you know, the success of building rapport or how that can influence? um, Yeah. How likely a consultee, whether it's a Senko or a um, a teacher, is to feel empowered to go and make change? And, and kind of what parts of our consultation skills are having that impact so I think a lot of the time I get very in my head about all of these questions and then it can make it very difficult in the moment to be like okay what what am I doing in this hour that I have with um, this consultee so I think yeah there's lots that came up for me as you were talking kind of around evaluation I'd be really interested as well if anything like to do with that came up in your research or yeah what around evaluation or how your interviewees kind of felt about how did they know if it went well um
2: that was one of the things that I had a bit of a discussion with some of the interviewees about that I do want to quickly explore the very vari- like the fact that it's varied a little bit more just because I think that is so important and also the use of frameworks yep definitely I think they can be really helpful for containing trainee EPs or even uh, more experienced EPs but also I think one thing that really struck with me one of the interviewees said was talking about the idea that having a consultation that's good enough because we can have these ideas about it being excellent trying to do all these things I've talked about earlier and half the time you're not gonna be able to do any of that because the person who you are having or persons you're having the consultation with they're not in the right headspace for it so I think it's trying to have a consultation that's good enough rather than always trying to go for that perfect thing. And I I did want to emphasize that because I really don't want to say that it has to be perfect. Otherwise, it's no point doing it because that's just unrealistic. We have to try and be realistic to the systems that we work within, which is also one of the things that a lot of interviews said was good about consultation is that it's realistic to the needs because by involving the key people, by getting the parents and whoever involved and the teachers, it can be much more realistic to the setting that it's in now to answer the actual question you asked me um thinking about evaluation it was really interesting because a few of them did mention that they thought it was something that they should try and do more but don't really do that much of and i say this as also someone who probably should be doing more at evaluation because i don't really do any of that and i really should because i'm literally exploring it but i don't know if i've got quite the mental headspace to become better at being an EP whilst doing all the other things as well so that's something on my to-do list but evaluation a few of them did have questions again unfortunately without answers around how are we evaluating it how do we know that we're having a positive impact how do we know that what we are doing is even done because I don't know about yourselves but again this is something that I really need to do I need to start trying to factor in to the amount of time that each case is dealt uh, is given or how much time is brought in to having that termly review i don't currently do that yet i really need to and i'm really trying to work out how to establish that within my practice but having that because being reflective is really important immediately afterwards thinking how did that go what could i do to improve and then thinking about three months down the line or whatever it is have those changes, have the recommendations that we agreed upon, have they actually been done? Has there been any positive change? And the the only real reflection that I get with my schools at the moment is briefly talking about during the planning meeting, at the end of the planning meeting, like, oh, how is X, Y, Z doing? And that's that's not really quite what I want to be doing. I want to try and have a bit more of a structured time built in, but of course, with the way the schools buy in time they buy in x amount of hours whatever it is and that's usually taken up by the consultation the observation maybe some one-to-one work maybe a feedback meeting maybe a feedback consultation but i don't really have many of those i don't have haven't been able to factor in the time for that so that's something that i really want to improve um and oh i had another point about how i
3: for people listening to the podcast is if you could say a little bit about your, your participants, just so people have an idea about um, who was involved and what you did and if there are any other findings that you feel, you know, particularly around that topic about what would make consultation effective. Uh, it'd be great to hear a, a little bit about
2: those too. 100%. The motivating factor behind my thesis was that very question around what are the effective parts of consultation and how do how do we work out what those effective parts are and how do we do more of those? And so I had three parts to my thesis. Um, I had a questionnaire, had interviews, and then did some observations. I'm going to focus on the last two because they're more meaty to the question at hand because part of the, one of the research questions, which I've subsequently dropped, but I'll be writing another document about in the future, future me can deal with that, is around online consultation or tech consultations using phones and video technology and that sort of thing. So we'll put a pin in that for the moment, but with regards to the interviews and observations, so I interviewed 30 people and they were across the UK, one person from Ireland as well, one EP from Ireland, and it was a wide range of private um, local authority EPs, trainees, people have been working for decades. So there was a real, really nice range. I was really pleasantly surprised at how many people got back to me. Transcribing it made me want to die, but it was worth it because there was so much data there. There were so many interesting things that came out from it. And then for the observations, I observed, oh gosh, I should really know this. I observed, um, I wanna say four consultations. Yes. Sorry, I'm gonna very quickly check so make sure I'm not lying because that would be embarrassing and stupid. So I'm just gonna quickly, because I've got, yes, yeah, so I did observe four. I was right the first time. I shouldn't have doubted myself. So, observe four consultations um, and I initially tried to have joint homeschool consultations but one of them was, the others were individual ones. Um, And they were really interesting because what I had done was reading through all the literature beforehand, I'd identified what I thought were the core key features of consultation um, based on the literature. So it was things like, um, again, I'm not gonna try and guess, I'm gonna actually just look at what I had Um, So there were things like people's contributions being valued, talking about the ideas for future EP work, the EP explaining their role, summarizing, talking about treatments or using psychological knowledge. So those sorts of key things. And I had a checklist and I was marking when those things were observed. And that's then given me a nice idea of when different things happen. And what I then the next step was within the consultation the ep and consultees identified goals that they wanted the young person to walk to work towards so we used target monitoring evaluation so the they all decided okay so this is the goal that they're going to work towards they are currently at a three out of ten we expect them in six to eight weeks to be at a six out of ten and then i contacted them six to eight weeks later saying where are they actually now and they said maybe they're at the same place they've they're at a four whereas they were a three beforehand so then say actual progress and so it's really interesting to see that change over time and the features that came up because the so one of the things that i found interesting was that by far and away and i think in every single consultation the most common feature was understanding the presenting problem which does kind of make sense but these were for were all from EPs who would say, who would class themselves as solution-focused. And this is in no way me calling them out or anything like that because they're excellent EPs, the ones I've served. Um, But for me, that was interesting that the most common thing is exploring the presenting problem. So what's the main area of concern? Um, But then there were loads of other the, i think the most the second most common thing was everyone's contributions being valued which i think is a really core part of what makes a consultation and i defined that as if so it's not so much in a consultancy answering a question wasn't everyone's contributions being valued because they're just answering a question whereas if they volunteered some information like a hypothesis or a solution or the EP explicitly said, thank you very much for that, then that's more explicit valuing of those contributions. And that was, that came up quite frequently as well. Um, What was interesting was that EP explaining their role didn't come up once across any of the consultations that didn't feature at all. Neither did clear discussion about planning or implementing treatments. There was some discussion about suggesting solutions that came up quite a lot, but the actual strict planning of these are the things that are gonna happen, they're gonna happen for this long didn't feature, which also mirrors what I experience in my consultations because I don't have time or I don't think it's the most valuable use of time in those instances perhaps to then really explicitly be thinking, these are the exact plans for what's gonna happen for the intervention. Now, if you have another model and you do that, power to you i just don't think that's not what i observed effectively um and so one of the other things that came up as a key feature is having school knowledge and that was never observed once but arguably you have that prior because you kind of already know how the school works you have an understanding of the resources available who's in the class that sort of thing so maybe that wasn't observed because they already have that prior knowledge um but then linking the features observed to the changes. Now I haven't done the finalized analysis cause I'm still wrapping my head around qualitative comparative analysis. I've got like the most basic understanding of what it is, but to then get to that final point where I can actually have the results for that data, I'm working on that. So, but just eyeballing the data, what was really interesting to me was that for the consultations where the, for the goal where there was the most change or or the consultations where there was the most change in those goals was the consultation where there was the most equitable ratio between understanding the presenting problem and everyone's contributions valued. Now, I don't want to take that as really strong evidence of like, yes, this shows that it has to be equal because I think we would say that already even if that evidence didn't exist. And I'm very aware of the limits of my research. It's very, very, it's quite weak evidence because it's only a small sample size it's only what's explicitly said so there's a lot of implicit unsaid things that are going that are missed just by the nature of how i did it because i had to do it this way kind of or maybe this was one of the main ways it made sense for me to do it but i think that does kind of jive with my understanding that if the consultation is more equitable if it's involving the consultees more if they're contributing more relative to the ep asking more questions about the specifics of the presenting problem that to me makes sense that that would be more effective that would lead to more change or another caveat i've just remembered about my research is that unfortunately these consultations happened in december and one of them happened in january so the students then didn't spend much time in school at all because they had a short time in December maybe, and then nothing in January because unless, well, some of them were in school, but I think the majority weren't in school for whatever reason. So they've had less support than they would receive at school, but hopefully they've had that support at home. But, so that's something for my discussion section to talk about, but um, no, it was really interesting. It was really interesting exploring this and as limited as it is, it was really nice to try and get some data on this, some some numbers on this, not that numbers are magical or anything, but just a tentative step to trying to explore just what you were talking about. What are the effective features? What are the things in consultation that make it effective? And how can we do more of them? And so you would never be able to use this research or indeed, even if there were more participants to say, if you have this number of, contributions value, this number of summarizing, you have a great consultation because you can't have that formula because going back to what I was saying earlier, the relationship is so important. The relationship that you develop with the people involved and different things contained and everything, that's one of the most important parts. But I do hope that what I find can nudge us a little bit into trying to think about how we can make consultation more effective because as I said, I think it's such a great way of working and I want to make it better. Because I really like meta science and trying to think about how we can know what's effective or not. Though you very quickly fall down a rabbit hole and you start questioning everything. As all good EPs do, you start going insane very quickly about questioning yourself and how all these things work. I don't know about yourselves, but I've definitely found that it's taken me a while to learn to turn off the skills that I've learned from the course. And so the most vivid example of this was my brother called me out on it and he was absolutely right to do so because we'd be having a normal conversation and he'd be like paddy why are you summarizing what i've just said i've literally just said it shut up and i was like you got me there fair point i'll stop summarizing
3: i mean it's interesting I was, it's fascinating i think what you've done is is so in- and i think you're the idea that you've actually observed consultations, I think, you know, it brings a different perspective to, you know, like somebody recalling, I think what I do in consultation is this, this, this and this. I think it's very different for you to actually see it um, and observe it. So I think that's amazing. Um, okay. That bit about the exploring the presenting problem it's making me think of Ingrid Highlander's work around kind of um, turnings in consultation and what might just having space to talk to be listened to, and you know that link that she makes to this point about maybe it's just sort of you get to just share your oh my I'm I'm worried about this child or I'm not sure what to do or you know you can you can maybe free up some of the emotional energy that's been a bit stuck because somebody's had a dilemma that they're not quite sure about what to do um, with and, and, and you know if we're talking to about a teacher with with a child or with a group in their class. Um, but also, I guess, that point of um, how important it is to spend the time at that stage and not move too quickly into a bit perhaps of, you know, that, and that's okay to feel like you have the permission to explore, I think is really, really beneficial. I think the other bit you were, you were talking about is people's contribution feeling, people feeling valued. And for me, I guess, I think that's so inextricably linked to relationship it's it's so linked into kind of how am I in this space with this person whatever it is about my my body language my tone my pitch my 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 demeanor as in as much as what I say I think that point you made about you know noticing that is just it's just one factor um but I think it's it's really really interesting and that you try and To kind of link and I you know completely hear your kind of the tentative and being cautious and not kind of over interpreting anything but noticing about maybe you know it's interesting just to see what happens with those children afterwards. I think one thing we we kind of as we kind of come towards the end of of discussions with people um I mean yeah one thing I'm just wondering about is has there been in the time that you've been training I suppose, particularly that you've, uh, like a paper you've read or an article or something you've seen that you've just thought, man, that's really, oh, I'm I, that's really changed my thinking about consultation or it's really reinforced that you would say recommend to some of our listeners who may be quite early in the journey of understanding or knowing about consultation. Is there something that you would really say, yeah, if you're going to see one thing or read one thing, this is the thing I'd recommend.
2: Mm, that's a really good question. I think there are probably two papers that I recommend reading and something that I think every EP needs to know about, which they've probably already come across and I've already mentioned is the idea of trauma and how that can impact on, because my understanding of n- educational need or whatever has been really informed by that. And also by a lot of the work that Beacon House does around like the neurosequential model and everything, that's been really valuable for my personal journey as an ep and understanding that um i think there are probably a couple of papers that i could say that i came across that i thought were really interesting one that i really liked was from 2018 and it was o'farrell and kinsella i think that's the authors yes it is i got it right fantastic
1: i (laughs) Um, I read this one for my um one of my assignments i had to do for consultation mm,
2: i found it really interesting because it's well for one thing it's a recent paper about consultation because there's been a couple of theses recently but most of the papers are from like the 2010s or whatever um so that was really interesting to get a more up-to-date version and halfway through this i realized emma did you write the walk the talk paper about <laughs> yes yes <laughs> because i was i was thinking about what papers would I would be valuable and then seeing your name here maybe clock wait you wrote that paper I think that's a really good paper that would be one of the ones I'd recommend
3: wanted to just check or ask about or you wanted to comment on It's just been really interesting
0: to talk to you, Patrick, and also to hear a bit about your research. I think Em and I are both quite interested in hopefully pursuing some (laughs) research, you know, in the UK, because we have had quite a few guests on now from the US and it is just interesting comparing, you know, the the situation with research around consultation. And a lot of the reading that we kind of do is, is coming from the US and they are in my opinion, and probably objectively further ahead in terms of how much research they've done and perhaps in practice, obviously the um, system is slightly different there. So that's another thing where like, as many barriers to implementing consultation um, from theory to practice. Maybe not, maybe there are, maybe there's ways around it. Um, but yeah, it's just been inspiring really to, to talk to you and hear about your findings. And hopefully it was something that I Em and I can kind of pick up and pursue in the future and maybe a little bit of collaboration could, could yes happen. yes definitely um, yeah so yeah and again i was thinking a lot about um know I know you mentioned it at the DECP TEP conference about your research and the fact that you've been doing it in the midst of a pandemic and things are different and you've had to be moving online and what does consultation look like in the online platform we haven't had a chance to speak about that today um but I think those are things that are still in my mind like how is that different would it would it look really different and I think for us um, at the Tavistock where some of our learning and teaching comes from psychodynamic theories um often in my mind is can those be translated into the online sphere and perhaps some theory some things that we're drawing on maybe fit better with an online um platform and some things perhaps not so that's something yeah I mean we can't speak about that because we could be here forever but (laughs) they are all things that have come up as, as we've been listening to you so yeah thank you for coming on and sharing
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been so, so interesting. I've really loved it. And I could 100% talk for ages about um, online consultation and everything. That's a really obvious invitation for please invite me back. (laughs) I was going to say,
3: you know, there's enough to get you to come back. And actually, it would be really interesting because one of the people that that Jess and I have been in touch with, who's been very kindly uh, agreed to come on is is Professor Aaron Fisher. Uh, at the University of Utah, has actually been researching online consultation for, I think, it's like 15 years now. Um, wow. Yeah. So we're really keen to kind of hear a bit more about his view, but then, you know, to then get you as well and kind of those different... I'm not going to be as
2: good then. Like- oh, just completely <laughs> no, no. I, think,
3: I think one of the things that's been, <laughs> like, brilliant about this whole process is recognising... No matter who we've spoken to, I personally feel like I'm learning just from having the and it's the space to reflect and connect up what the person's bringing. So whether it's been um, early career psychologists, people with lots of experience, um, people from other countries working in different contexts, people who are doing research here like yourself, I, I mean I don't want to speak for for M and Jess, but I I think it's amazing. Um, I think we get something new and different and distinctive from everybody who's who's been on.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the thing that really struck me, um Paddy, was when you were talking about endings and that kind of feeling of you having that relationship and wanting to carry that on. And I know there were some frustrations there for myself and Jess as well in terms of trying to get some kind of research done and consultation and and endings. So that's something we definitely want to kind of fulfill. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's left us and that's fueled our kind of passion for doing this and um, so it'd be great to speak to you a bit more about that and um, and definitely Absolutely. about online consultation in the future so thank you so much
2: no worries um, thank you so much really quick point just around about learning from having these sorts of discussions one of the things that's been so wonderful for me is that reading through the interviews so many times i've yeah. learned so much yeah. from the initial Interview, but rereading it that's really informed my practice, and something that I feel really strongly about is making data open. And so, what I want to do is once I've finished all this, I'm going to put it all up online. So, the transcripts of all my interviews are going to be available to be read by anyone. And I think I would really recommend people to do that because I've some of the people I interviewed are like really fantastic at it, really knowledgeable, gives mm-hmm. such good, interesting opinions on it and perspectives. So I'd really recommend going through those. And so, um, also, everything What's your great is- idea? thank you. Yeah. Well, cause I think I've collected all this data. People should be reading it. There's so much mm-hmm. here to, to do. And also hopefully because I've only thematically analyzed it in one way, There's so much more depth to be mined within it. So if someone can use Mm. that data in another interesting way, that's great.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we um, have had conversations in our cohort as well about accessibility of data and also academicalized. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um that sort of way of presenting research and actually is that always the most helpful for informing our practice do people sit down all the time and read everything that is coming out in this very academic way you know you have to get it published you have to have a finding that all the publishing by bi- uh, yeah publication bias etc so i think having things um accessible easily and you know it gives some freedom for someone to pick up that data and do something a little bit different with it I I imagine my mind is racing with all the sort of creative ways that you could present this sort of information not only to EPs but perhaps to other consultees to teachers to schools to to kind of fuel some sort of um understanding yeah
3: I mean it's making me think about um was it was it Bill Urchell who was talking Emily had read one of his papers that had looked at um gender as an effect between, you know, like um same gender, you know, and and what might that bring to was it to the relational communication bit, Jess, or or, um the or the
1: the power, the the Oh yeah,
3: within a consultation. That was it. But I think you or maybe maybe I've gotten it all mixed up, but we're asking about um race and ethnicity, Mm -hmm. um, and that being another variable, culture, fate, you know, all those kinds of things that actually having accessible data sets where people might be able to explore uh, who have maybe different questions they want to ask or find out more about and building a repository. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. It's, Cause it is a very big task, I think, to think about doing things like recording oneself working and interviews and all that kind of stuff. So the, the, perhaps the more collegial and interdependent we become the better, really. Um, yeah, that's really great.
2: And I think just having that data available is so valuable because you've gone through the effort of collecting it. Other people can use it. There are other ways, as you're saying, to explore it and just creating, because one of the main ways that we do science is people maybe with a few collaborator, collaborators, but typically you're working by yourself, you're collecting your own data, you've got your own findings, you possess that, and then you sort of disseminate it in behind paywalls. Very few people can read them. No one else can do anything with them. So I I personally would like to see us, not just educational psychology, but science in general, psychology in general, going really big here, but regardless, um, being more collaborative, like collaborative projects and then sharing that and making that freely available. Because one of the things I want to do with my work is, I'm going to write the thesis, but I want to write almost like a summary, like, side of a side or two of a four of like summarizing my findings that i can then put up on a preprint server that anyone can access if they have the urls Mm. there's no barrier to entry so eps who don't have access to a university login can read it or Mm. whoever wants to can read it and i think that for me is quite important and something i want to do in the future trying Mm. to make it as accessible not just my data but my work is accessible as well because the reason why I'm doing this is so it can hopefully inform others. But if no one can read it, kind of what's the point?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think um, it's definitely we've got a way to go with how we, we do this. And I think Emma's point about thinking about the whiteness of educational psychology, which I know is a term that uses quite a lot, you know, the, the lens at which we are, processing this information and how we choose to or what we unconsciously choose to include and not include or think about or not think about and then churn out in in the form of um these publications I think yeah it's, it's a really important point that um we can bring other viewpoints and part of that is having that data accessible I think um But I'm just aware that we are coming to an end. Um, So thank you again, Paddy. It's been really nice to speak to you. Um, And I hope, yeah, that listeners will find it really interesting, I'm sure, as well.
3: So thank you.
2: Thank you so much. It's been really, really enjoyable. It's it's gone by so quickly, it's ridiculous. (laughs)